Welcome to What You Need When You Need It, a bi-monthly podcast by Seattle Credit Union on relevant topics affecting our city and our state and ways to positively impact your financial health. No matter where you are in your life, Seattle Credit Union is here to help you prosper. Welcome to What You Need When You Need It. This week, we're sitting down with Chris Malins, a financial professional at a local flagship university, to discuss setting up the building blocks for a successful financial journey for yourself and your family. We also might take a look at how this could look different during COVID. So Chris, first of all, thank you for joining us today. Uh, We'd love to kick things off with a quick intro. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Matt. Yes, um, my name is Chris Malins, and I uh, was born and raised in Seattle and have lived here almost all of my life. I studied finance and later accounting at University of Washington. I've spent my entire career working in sort of public sector finance, but have had quite a bit of exposure to elements in investment banking, credit markets, investment markets, et cetera. So kind of a long career at this point with a lot of um, exposure to various areas within uh, finance. That's great. And I think you're a perfect guest for this podcast because we're really focusing on the broader public and financial education as a whole. And what we've realized as we've spoken to people is that not everybody has the same level of financial education, especially uh, for the millennial generation and below. So what we aim to do is take that knowledge and disseminate it as widely as possible. So once more, thank you for sharing what you know. Um, Sounds like our listeners will be in good hands. And with that, let's get started. Um, We're excited to chat about how your background in finance has helped you shape your personal financial journey, insights you can share for setting yourself or your family up for success, and also some tips that anyone could use to make managing finances more approachable. Because I know for most of us, uh, we may not be as financially literate as someone immersed in the profession itself. So, Chris, our first question is, as someone who has spent his career working in the world of finance, how have these experiences shaped your spending, budgeting, and investing habits? Well, I I think that certainly they've they've, uh, shaped those habits in a positive way. I've learned the value of investing to the best of my financial ability at whatever point in time I was in my life. Um, also learned the value of, you know, budgeting, recognizing what is a need to have versus a want to have and making sure that there's enough funding for the uh, need to have. And if there might be some extra, a little bit for the want to have. Um, with respect to investing, I was fortunate to have worked a little bit and as a generalist, really, in an investment office in um, public sector for a few years. And you know, learned the many things within, I could talk a lot about sort of investing and strategies, but quite a bit about um, how to take advantage of time to manage risk and to sort of get to a point here in my, you know, latter part of my career where, you know, my savings have, have got to a nice point. So a lot of, a lot of lessons. That's great. And I want to, I want to key in on one thing that you said early on, the idea of need to have versus want to have, because you know, there's a lot of terminology in finance that may make it less approachable, um, but I think this is one thing that we can all relate to. How have you defined things that you need to have versus things you want to have, 
at various stages in your life? I can imagine that looks very different at 21 versus, say, 45. True. Well, I appreciate you thinking I'm 45. That's good. <laughs> I, uh, so, yeah, you're right. And certainly as, you, as we move down our, you know, our life path, we have different uh, priorities. When I was 21, I mean, our, I, I would say this, just our priorities are always going to be things like food and shelter, obviously. And that is something that is universal in our lives. Um, but, you know, my need to have at 21 might have been food, shelter, and the ability to make a student loan payment. My need to have at 45 might be food, shelter, um, saving for my son's college, potentially paying for his preschool, uh, making a mortgage payment, uh, et cetera. So, yes, the, the need to have change over time. I think it's important that everyone recognizes kind of where they are in life and what ways there are to kind of leverage the, the place you are in life to ensure that you're in a better place as you get older from a financial perspective. Yeah, that's, that's great. Was there a, can, can you share a personal moment maybe about some time where that clicked for you, you know, where you really grasped the concept and put it into action? Yeah. You know, I, I remember I started investing money in um, stock market, mutual funds, et cetera, when I was in college. And at that point, I mean, I was living off of, I was working in a restaurant and I was living off of you know, Pell Grants and loans. I didn't have a lot of extra money, but I, you know, learned in business school that being 21, you know, you may be a poor student, et cetera, but what you have on your side is time. You have time to grow your funds. And so I started putting $50 a month into a uh, mutual fund at that point. And I remember a a moment that I had, I was on the bus, I think, uh, downtown somewhere, and I realized that I had $1,000 saved. And I just remember the, the sense of, wow, you know, this is, this is something. I have $1,000 now saved. And uh, th- th- I think that was the moment that, you know, the $50 a month and, and any growth I might have had, it, it does add up. And $1,000 maybe today isn't a heck of a lot, maybe, to, you know, to, to certain folks. But to me at that moment, it meant a lot and it showed the value of my savings. Yeah, that's great. Kind of that... that uh mid to long-term reward and goal that you reach where you take a moment to say, okay, I think I can pat myself on the back and this works. Right. Yeah. That's great. For many finance, whether it's taxes or figuring out a budget day-to-day can feel pretty intimidating as we've touched on before, but do you have any advice for those of us who might not necessarily be number people to make our finances a little more approachable? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what I would suggest is uh, automate as much as possible. Um, there's so many tools out there right now, whether it's, you know, online bill pay, uh, direct debits, uh, whether it is, you know, automated investing, et cetera, that I think folks can take advantage of if they don't want to be watching the market or tracking bank balances all the time. So what I would suggest, um, and I, I don't do this as much as maybe I should, because I like to keep a closer eye on my, on my finances um, that way. But if, if folks aren't comfortable with that, I, I think that as long as you sort of know what's going in and, go, and going out, I think automating but monitoring um, would be my best advice. So to, to use the tools that we have out there that the banks have set up, you know, vendors, the people you pay your bills to to um, make it not such a concern. So yeah, take- I, 
Sorry to cut you off there, Chris. It, it, that That's a lesson for me that uh, rings pretty true as well. Um, and I think also, you know, we can um, look to things that are in our pocket on our phone, like the Seattle Credit Union online banking app. Um, you know, we can set up mobile bill pay. We can set up automatic bill pay. Um, I remember someone once telling me that, you know, you can do things the traditional way, but that may not be the easy way. Right, right. Yeah, and, and the, new, the tools are coming so quickly that I just think that taking advantage of them can, can take this sort of drudgery. A lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm an accountant, I'm a finance person. I love working with numbers and, and money, um, but most people don't. And that's why these tools are so nice is just take that weight off of your life but at the same time, know in the back of your mind that you're doing the right thing. You're setting aside money, you're paying your bills, et cetera. Yeah. What, in your estimation, what makes a good app? Is it like beyond just automating something that, that you would have to do manually? What makes a good app? Boy, now you're moving me into the IT realm. Uh, <laughs> from a user Surprise. <laughs> from a user perspective, um, you know, having something that has a great interface with your phone, I think is really nice. Something that has high security, you want to have, you know, dual factor authentication so that you can't get hacked. Um, constant updates. I mean, I like the app that I use for my, for my bank. Um, and, I, and I always install the updates and it's been, been good to me. Got it. So again, more of those things that people don't care to look at, but are very important. Makes yeah. the good app. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to say it. Yeah. So a question we hear pretty often um, when there are so many financial priorities on the table from tackling credit card debt to establishing an emergency fund or investing in the stock market and saving for retirement, your kid's college, et cetera. How do you navigate and prioritize these responsibilities? Is there a step-by-step formula that is universally agreed to a general outline of, you know, connect the dots kind of I don't know whether there's a universal approach to this, but I can tell you my approach. And um, this resonates with my wife, who is not as financially interested as I am. And I think about money as having a job. So we, we have different pools or buckets of money. And each one of those pools or buckets has a specific job. Like, for example, I earn a paycheck, and when I get paid, I put $100, for example, into an investment account. And the job of that $100 is to make more money. So that, that money has a specific purpose. Maybe there's another $100 that I would put into a budget for my son's college. That also has a job. That job is to you know, grow to the point where when he's 18 and ready to go to school, that money is ready for him. You know, there may be a different way to invest that because it has a shorter life than money that I might need when I'm old and not working anymore. There also might be money or there is money that has a job that um, is to pay the bills, is to make sure that I can live in my house, that I can buy food, you know, all the things that we need. Um, do I pay utilities, things that I can live with. That money obviously doesn't need to be invested in some mutual fund, that money needs to be readily available in my checking account. So I think about money as, as having being bucketed in time, how soon do I need it? And at, bucketed as to use, what's the job of that money? 
you know, we, we talked, you, you mentioned things like emergency funds, stock market, retirement, education, et cetera. Each one of those buckets of money have a, have a specific job. And that job tells you, tells me how, how I might want to invest that money, how much risk I might take with that money. So that's a strong concept that I've sort of used to drive. I haven't heard it before, um, but, but that's, a, that's something that I use to manage our, our finances at home is think about money as having a job. That's really insightful. And I, I haven't heard that before either. Um, you know, I've spent much less time in the financial world compared to you, but um, that's, it, it's really relatable for me as a listener, as a budgeter, as a consumer, as a provider to think of money in, in humanizing ways. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a great point. I'd like to ask you about a specific situation, uh, a hypothetical, if you're open to it, and yeah. what, what you would do. Say you're someone who is juggling multiple credit card payments and have found yourself in a spot of debt. You have you know, rent to pay, you have uh, food to put on the table, and you, know, you have some high interest credit cards and maybe some student loan debt. How did how would you, as a financial professional, advise someone to begin tackling that mountain? Yeah, I've been in a situation I think when I was younger where I had multiple credit cards and student loans simultaneously. Um, I don't now, but but younger folks do, and, and it's often unavoidable. Um, so I think that you know, I mean, the first thing would be to try to do everything you can to minimize high interest rate debt pay attention to the rate on the credit card, on the store card, et cetera, and make sure that you're not signing up for something that is going to be more interest than principal when you're making a payment. So do that. But assuming you're in a position where you've got multiple liabilities you need to pay, I think that consolidation is something to think about. I think there are companies, options out there for folks to consolidate debt potentially into a single low rate, uh, low interest rate uh, loan. The other would be to, I mean, if you couldn't do that, would be to focus on the loans or the cards that have the highest interest rate, pay those down first, you know, make larger payments on those, maybe minimum payments on the ones that have the lower rates and sort of chip away at the ones that are the most expensive. I think a lot of people don't really consider the interest rate on loans they take. I do. I mean, I borrow money for a living, so I, I think about rates, but if you actually look at your statements, for example, if you have an 18% interest rate on a credit card or something and, and you're making minimum payments, and how much of that payment you're making goes to interest and how much of that goes to reduce your balance, you would be shocked at how much goes to interest. So that interest will really affect you and it can lengthen, you know, sometimes forever beyond your lifespan. If you only make minimum payments on these really high rate cards, you'll never pay the things down. So, you know, my, my rule is to try not to get into these high rates, consolidate if you can, and if you can't, focus on the highest rate first and get, get out of things that have high interest rates as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, I think, Chris, that's really wise. Um, and I think a piece of information that, that not everybody knows, because sometimes it just feels like, you know, you're, you're, you're swimming to keep your head above water in these kinds of situations. You know, I... I know through experience that often avoiding that situation involves, like you were saying, 
checking the interest rates first. And when I went to uh, lease my car, um, you know, I was offered a uh, a higher interest rate financing plan from the dealership, but I actually went to a separate financial institution and said, hey, what can you do for me? And found a better rate. So kind of asking a second opinion on finance, because oftentimes, you know, things that are handed to us on a platter may not necessarily be in our best interest, even though it seems easy. Yeah. And, you know, there's an entire infrastructure there that is focused on getting folks to sign up for these high credit cards, to get the cash advance, to look at the thing in the mail that says, hey, how would you like a thousand bucks? And you think, shoot, I love a thousand bucks. And then you find out that you have to pay a hundred dollars a month forever to pay it down. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Pay attention to that. I mean, there's no free lunch. Don't look in your mailbox and expect to find some great financial deal. Yeah. Spending hostage and the time to send that to you because they make the money, not because you do. Yep. And it goes back to what you were saying about, um, you know, setting, setting small goals and, and paying things off. If you do a lot of the work up front and um, don't go for that instant gratification of $1,000 now, you may very well have more cumulatively over time. Yep. That's exactly right. You're listening to What You Need When You Need It, a bi-monthly podcast by Seattle Credit Union on relevant topics affecting our city and our state and ways to positively impact your financial health. Thanks for tuning in. Chris, I want to switch to listeners who may not only be planning their own financial future, but also their families. Can you share any tips for simplifying family finances like day-to-day expenses, College planning you already touched on, um, but you know budgeting for extras like a bigger or a second car, family vacation, things like that. Well, I, can, I guess I can talk about how we do it in my family. That would be great. Uh, that uh, I, I married and I have one son. When my wife and I first decided to get married, we made a conscious decision that it actually worked really well to um, have one joint account where we have joint expenses and two personal accounts that we can use to buy the things that we might want personally. You know, I buy books or whatever it is that I want and she buys whatever it is she wants. And then, you know, sort of as we moved in through our careers, we've dropped, um, our salaries have been different, right? Have different trajectories. And so, you know, she may be putting in more than I am, or I may be putting in more than her, sort of depending on where we are. But we use that joint account to make these expenses. We also, at the same time, set aside money in a savings account. Uh, We both contribute to that. And that money could be used for vacation. We want to go to New York or California or something. So we set aside. We try not to borrow, although we end up doing it a little bit for vacations because it can get pretty pricey. But by the time we, you know, summer rolls around and it's time to, you know, head out somewhere, we do have money set aside. And we do that through the year. Um, and then when we come back, we maybe spend the rest, the other half of the year paying that thing down, um, the, the, the loan part that we might have associated with it. Um, so, I mean, again, it's all about it's all about buckets and thinking about what this money is for. Is this for day to day expenses? Is this for a longer or, or sort of shorter term need like a vacation or is it for a longer term need like education or retirement, which is the longest term need? And it, the depending on what the answer is, sort of tells you how you manage that and how you contribute to that. Hmm. That's, uh, again, thinking about time as your most valuable resource. Time is your most valuable resource. 
Um, and, you know, as you get you know, younger time is your friend, older time isn't as much your friend. But that doesn't mean you should say it's too late. I can't set aside money. I think you should always be saving. I mean, mm-hmm. the difference is the older you are, the less risk you can afford to take with the money you're saving. Certainly. Really Certainly. Yeah, it's a really important concept. And you know, I try to explain this to my parents who are well, very old. And, you know, by the time you're in your 70s and 80s, you really need to have money that is not going to be subject to fluctuations in the you know, the stock market. You need to have money that is there for your needs because you're not earning an, in, you know, an income anymore. And so, you know, when you're very young, you can put in $50 a month into a, you know, a more aggressive stock fund, for example, that might fluctuate and go up and down, but that's okay because in the long run, it's going to have a better return than something that might be a little bit more conservative, but you have the time when you're my age and start to get older than that, then you need to be a little less, you need to be a little more risk averse Yeah, it's kind of that money's job to be an ambitious, career, growth-minded professional. That's exactly right. Your money is more ambitious when you're younger. Hmm. Needs to be more conservative when you're older. Just like people. Just like people. I wasn't going to go there, but you touched on it. (laughs) Uh, Well, on the topic of family, you know, there's there's a lot to consider from a financial education perspective at an early age. And I wonder how uh, you as a parent and how you as a professional would advise people in setting up their children for financial success. Like what are the most important Mm -hmm. things that you can teach a young person about finance? Well, what I'll say is that I think that the education out there in the public schools and even in the colleges with respect to personal finance is woefully lacking. Um, I actually was part of a group at the university where I work to educate freshmen about managing their student loans, creating a checking account, et cetera. And these are kids who are 18, 19 years old. So there just has, I, I think that the idea of personal financial literacy is not adequately covered. Um, so that's, that's a gap. Um, but with my son, he's 11, so he doesn't pay as much attention to me as he should in this respect. But what we try to do is be honest, you know, recognize that money is not free out there and that, you know, the reason we might have a house and a car is because we work very hard. And that if he wants to have a house and a car, he's going to need to work very hard, that you can't have everything you want. Um, I've talked to him about banking a little bit, you know, checking account. We created a savings account and a checking account for him. So instead of handing him $10 a week for allowance, we put money into a savings account for him. Talk about what that is. I've talked to him about interest, you know, earnings. I mean, these are, I I think that being transparent about family finances is really important for kids because I think that Mm -hmm. you don't do that. You sort of run the risk of kids thinking that it's just this magical thing and that everything's just fine all the time. And really we're, you know, both my wife and I are working very hard to kind of keep the, the household going. So I think providing that transparency and honesty is important. And I also think that, you know, sharing knowledge of basic finance at, at an age appropriate time is also very important. And I'm trying that as well. Hmm. That's, that's great. And I think it's uh, pretty rare for, for my generation to have had that level of uh, transparency and information from, from our parents. So I think you're doing your children a service and, you know, anyone who's listening, um, you can do 
yours a service as well. It's uh, as Chris is saying, it's never too early to start and the actions are never too small to make an impact. Right. So Chris, inevitably, as all conversations do at some point this year, we turn to the COVID-19 pandemic and you know, we're specifically interested how you've seen it impact your community, um, you know, impacted your life, but then taking nuggets from that experience, specifically from a financial perspective, do you have advice for anyone else who may be looking at their finances differently these days, who have been forced to pivot, you know, knowing that there is a wide range of effects that this has had on folks? Yeah. So, you know, I'll just say quickly that the pandemic has had profound impacts on, on my family. We've lost family members. We've had family members become sick. Mm. So it's been a really hard time from a health perspective mm-hmm. um, within my family and ex- extended family. So it's been very difficult. I'm sorry, and, Chris. And I also recognize how incredibly difficult it is for someone who may be in a sector of the economy that has been dramatically impacted by this. You're working in a restaurant, for example. If you're working, you know, if you're a bus driver, if you're working in hospitality, I, I fully recognize and appreciate the, the pain that folks are going through. It's it's, it's an incredibly difficult time. Um, so, but at the same time, it's it's a strange time because there are others that are thriving. Mm-hmm. Right? I, mean, we, I don't know if we follow. You look at the stock market is at record highs. Folks who work at Amazon. Um, you know, these, these companies are just, you know, the ones that cater to people that are stuck at home are mm-hmm. just absolutely, you know, blowing the doors off. So yeah, there's real dissonance there. There is real dissonance. And, and, and I think that we need to recognize that there are, you know, the stock market is not the economy. We have to remember that. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, because Amazon succeeding does not mean that you who maybe worked in a hotel is succeeding. And there's just tough times. I'm fortunate I can work remotely. You know, our sector in higher education has also been affected in an odd way. I mean, some parts of my university have been really affected. Uh, Housing, for example, has been really affected. Athletics has been affected. Hospitals have been affected. But other areas have done fine. Research is okay. Um, Students are still willing to go to school, even though it's remotely. So my work life is sort of a microcosm, I think, of our of our country, where you have areas that are really directly impacted and other areas that are just fine. You know, what, what we've done, I mean, from a personal perspective, I mean, we've, we've changed our lives, as everybody has in, in mm-hmm. our family. We're not going out as much. We're cooking at home. Uh, from a financial perspective, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm steady as she goes. I continue to, you know, save every month, continue to work, continue to do all those things. I think that you know, but I'm one of the lucky ones. I mean, if I if I were needing unemployment, if I if I were struggling when it ended, if I were you know on hold forever with the state trying to get signed up, I mean, these are challenging things. And you know, my advice on whether or not you should save fifty dollars a month isn't going to help someone who doesn't have income. So I, I, I sort of certainly have a lot of empathy for those folks. Um, I don't yeah. have any, I don't have an answer. But my approach is um, manage my family, manage the health, and continue to do what I've always done with respect to saving for the future. Mm -hmm. Chris, if you'll indulge another hypothetical, you know, if you were in a situation where 
you maybe didn't have a consistent income or you had a fixed income from, say, the government. Of course, you know, prioritizing those things like food and shelter and, and the real needs. But and how might your definition of want versus need uh, shift and how might you direct your income to perform different jobs? Yeah, well, I think that it, when you're in a situation where you are hand to mouth or drawing from any reserves you might have, the concept of you, the, the money has one job, right? Mm-hmm. The job of that money is to kind of get you to the next week or the next day or the next mm-hmm. month to a place where you can get back where you want to be with respect to a more normal income flow. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, as much as I advocate regular savings, do it when you're young, if you don't have enough money to pay your utilities or to eat, then you're drawing out of your savings rather than Certainly. savings. If, you were, if I were in a gig economy kind of job, um, there are many reasons people do that. I mean, they want the flexibility, the freedom, uh, et cetera. If I were in that, I, I would recognize that it could be a feast or famine situation. What I would personally do is when I was in a position where I was maybe you know, working more uh, because you know, there's a lot of business in hotels or in summer convention season, et cetera, I would, I would say more than so that when we get to the point, if we get to the point where there's less work, um, then I could use that, those reserves. You know, I have a very stable kind of income because I'm a salary person. Mm-hmm. But there are folks that have, you know, seasonal revenue, seasonal income. And if you have seasonal income, you have to recognize that when, you get, when, the, good, when the going is good, set money aside for when the going isn't good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's easy to say now, no, nobody knew we were going to be in this pandemic and the entire, you know, sectors would collapse. I mean, this is who would have ever predicted this? Yeah. Uh, maybe Bill Gates did. But other than that, you know, who, who else would have thought that this could have been so profound and far reaching? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for your uh, perspective on that. Too. And I guess, you know, related looking maybe with uh, a tone of optimism toward the future, you know, we just saw the UK begin administering the first doses of vaccine there uh, earlier this week, you know, and we're hoping the FDA uh, gives official approval for emergency youth auth- authorization today. So, you know, we are approaching a point where a number of people may be vaccinated, albeit slowly, and a return seems to be on the horizon to a new normal. If you could look into your crystal ball and look at how spending or investing habits of the general population may change coming out of this pandemic, what do you think those would be? And do you believe that you're in a position to make any kind of prediction like that? I don't know that anyone's in a position to make any prediction. <laughs> we all have our, we all have our opinions. Um, I, I think there's two things happening. I think one is there's incredible pent up demand. Hmm. So people, I know I do. People want to travel. People want to go out to dinner. People want to do those things. And I think that 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 will happen, and that will we'll start to see that as as these caseloads go down. Let's hope the deaths drop and all. I think we'll start to see that pent-up demand. Mm-hmm. But I also think that people are going to, you know, we've been affected profoundly by this. And we've all, we all have our own personal finances and we've seen how we fared during this time. And so I think it actually could also uh, lead to, you know, a greater focus on savings, a greater focus on, you know, that rainy day fund, making sure that there is, 
you know, sufficient money set aside should something dramatic or drastic happen again. Mm-hmm. I think we, we could see both this explosion in consumer activity, you know, away from ordering on Amazon and, and more in, you know, experiences and being out and about. And also some some more, you know, conservative and what I think is well thought out savings. That's my opinion. Am I qualified? Probably not. But that's that's my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, we have you on here so that we can hear your opinion. So thanks for sharing. <laughs> I guess uh, we'll we'll round it out. You know, last question, kind of potpourri. Is there anything in closing that you'd like to share with our listeners about setting themselves up or their families up for financial success that you haven't already talked about? You know, I guess the big takeaways are use time. If you're young, remember you have time. You may be poor, but you have time. And you're rich in time. You may be poor in money. So take advantage of that. And the other thing is to recognize that not only your savings and your money have jobs, but also your loans have jobs. You know, there's there's a time when you might want to borrow long term for a house. There's a time when you might want to borrow short term, shorter term for a car and recognize that loans have jobs, too. And don't take something that you're buying that has a shorter term job like, I don't know, uh, groceries, for example, and assign it to a longer term debt. So don't mm-hmm. don't have a 30 year loan for next week's groceries. <laughs> don't invest money that you need tomorrow to pay your your bills in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Always think about sort of the risk and the time and the job of both the money that you have and the money that you might borrow. Hmm. Those are my takeaways. That's, uh, you know, Chris, you make my job incredibly easy because I don't need to recap the conversation after that. (laughs) So thank you so much for your willingness to come speak to us today, um, for your willingness to share your knowledge and experience and and your uh, personal uh, stories as well. So um, it was a real, uh, real pleasure having you on. It was really nice to meet you, Matt. Thank you. You too, Chris. Thank you. This has been a What You Need When You Need It podcast by Seattle Credit Union, Seattle's partner in growth and prosperity. To submit a topic for consideration, please visit seattlecu.com slash podcast. Seattle Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA, an equal housing opportunity lender.